Hello and welcome to Hyperfixations, the podcast where we have on people to talk about their whatever area of interest that they could just talk forever about. Your hosts, I'm Ali. And I'm Nigel. And today we have on Neve. Neve, how are you? I'm grand, yourselves? Pretty good. Eh, tired. I, I have now started a, a full-time job working in a wine warehouse, so... Nice. That's what I spent eight hours doing today, moving boxes from place to place. Oh, I don't envy you. I used to have to do that when I worked fire jobs. This is so draining. Mm. I just, like, sit, sit at a desk and send emails all day. <laughs> I, I kind of prefer that. Yeah. It has yeah. its appeals. It's pretty cushy, except I don't really leave the house. Ups and downs. Hmm. And Neve, you are on today to talk to us about <laughs> death. Just death. Yeah, just death. Like there's there's <laughs> no way to sugarcoat it. <laughs> like I, I could say, oh, like at the end of like no death. <laughs> it's like we're gonna rip that bandaid off now because the stuff I talk about will only become increasingly more blunt as time goes on. If you can't handle the word death, you're not gonna have a good time for this hour. <laughs> I mean, that, I mean that's as good a way as any, just to get it out in the open. Yeah, but if anything, like, I would like to think that I can talk about death in a way that is, like, reasonable and approachable and not terrifying to people. So if you're a bit apprehensive about death, keep listening, because I'm going to hopefully make you less, I think. Uh, we'll give it a shot. Okay, and, uh, so, like, it's always hard to be like, this is my area of expertise or interest with a lot of things because like you know there's a lot to know about things you know there's a potentially infinite amount of knowledge but whereas death is like as a concept so like why did you choose it for today's episode and like you know what what made you choose it uh i guess well one it's kind of the thing i know most about it's been like something i've been kind of like studying and reading about and interested in for a couple of years now, um, started completely as an accident. Like I never was like, mm, I'm going to get into death. My hobby <laughs> will be reading about death because like no one does that. Um, <laughs> like I, I happened into it and then I just started reading more and learning more and I was like, okay, this is really neat. And I fell down a rabbit hole I've never, I've not yet escaped. That's true. Yeah. Tell me, how does one happen into death? Okay, so it was 2017, I think, and I was living in a house share uh, while I was studying at university. And one of my housemates was like, oh, there's this really interesting YouTube channel I've been watching. You should give it a look. It's called Ask a Mortician. And I did <laughs> give it a look. And then I kept watching and watching. She had had the YouTube channel for like six years at this point. I think it's... Yeah, no, five or six years at that point. She's said it for ten years now. Uh, so there was lots of videos on it, and I just kept watching and watching, and I was like, okay, this is really interesting. And she was talking about, like, her work as a funeral director and as a mortician, or and her advocacy around death and historical death and uh, notorious, I guess, iconic corpses and stuff. And then after that, I was like, oh, this person has books, so I read her books, and then I read other people's books, and then I read more people's books. And now, 
in my room, I have like 10 different books about death. Um, and I have more in my parents' house. Uh, I have a the world's most horrifying library going over here. Uh, <laughs> it's just like all books about death. Um, and then like one or two books about like witchcraft or something thrown in. I don't know. I have other interests, believe it or not. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, that's that's how it happened. It was like one YouTube video, and I was like, oh, this is really neat. And at the time, like uh, two of my friends were criminologists, um, so they had like a kind of related interest in this as well. And we all started talking to like each other about it, and then. One of them went on to study creative writing, so now she writes kind of in the genre of... Well, no, she writes in a lot of genres. She's a very good writer. Her name is Lauren Mulvihill. Check her out when she eventually releases, releases the fantastic book, which she will. Um, but she does write in, like, in the genre of like murder mystery and stuff. And then our other friend, Alison, uh, she went on to study folklore. So she took kind of that perspective and we all fed off each other and made each other worse but I I am the main I am the main one when it comes to death I would like to say because they their interest is like tangential and more related to other things but with me it's like no death is my focus <laughs> oh, no give that I, I was just gonna ask like is there because like you said you you discovered a YouTube channel, um, you know, Ask a Mortician. Is there, like, a big kind of... Com- like, is there any community at all outside of this one YouTube channel for people who are into death in this kind of way? There or- is, actually. Uh, the person who runs that YouTube channel runs kind of a collective called The Order of the Good Death, where they have this, I guess, international group of death professionals and people with, like careers related to death and stuff like that where they like they have talks and they do events and stuff especially in the states they have people who like uh recently a thing that's become an available in the states is human body composting and like the person who pioneered that is involved this mortician is involved there's like artists and writers and creatives as well whose work focuses on death or like textile workers who do like textile work related to death and funerary traditions and stuff like there is a community it's small but like if if you go looking for it it's there you'll find you'll find a community for everything i guess uh there's like there's a couple of universities in europe that have schools of uh thanatology i may be pronouncing that wrong uh, which is the study of death. There's not many of them. There's only three that I'm aware of. But, like, it still exists. It's still a field. Hmm. So you mentioned that uh, thing that has become available to Americans recently is human body composting. And, <laughs> like, it, it sounds like it does exactly what it says on the tin, but, I like, you know, I'm not an expert in this. Could I don't know, could you explain a bit about what that is? Yeah, uh, you're you're pretty much on the ball. It is kind of exactly what it says in the tin. You get put in this facility uh, with this specific mix of soil and wood chips and stuff, and your body basically breaks down uh, to the point where it becomes soil. It becomes compost. And like, while that sounds unusual to do with like humans with live matter and stuff. Um, it has been done with livestock for a while. Uh, it's like one of the more effective ways of disposing of livestock because, like, if if you have taken all the parts of the animal, it can eat. You can eat. Still, a 
that cow was pretty big like so uh, a lot of like cows and stuff in the states for example would get composted so they were like oh well if we can do it for, for an animal that, that that is that big we can theoretically do it for a person and why not people should have the option if they want and at the end of it you get your little bit of compost that was like your loved one and you can like plant a nice garden with it and it's a lot uh i guess more positive for the environment than like putting ashes in a flower pot because like at the end of the day ashes unfortunately are ashes like they're not necessarily going to contribute to the soil much don't hold me to that i'm not a biologist whereas if you were compost compost will contribute to the soil in a positive way that's really nice actually the idea of like your remains like like your family could like grow a garden like i think i really like that idea yeah, that's what I want, but unfortunately it's not available in Ireland right now. There also has to be a bit of heat involved, because uh, the heat makes like the creatures and the soil, the microbes that break you down work a bit faster. Uh, maybe, like, we might have the climate for it, it gets quite humid here, maybe, but it's not something that's like currently available in Ireland. Unfortunately, it's only available in, I believe, Seattle uh, is where they do it. And I don't want someone to fly my corpse out that far after I've done it. <laughs> That seems expensive for me to become compost. Mm. Well, at least now you know where you've got to be. Like, if you sense that you're going to die. Yeah, got to get like, my well, ass to Seattle. Go to Seattle. Fly over. It's like, excuse me, what is the purpose of this trip? I'm becoming compost, my guy. <laughs> and he's just, like, he just assumes then from that response that you're some sort of, like, eldritch horror. And is like, okay... Yep, go yeah. right on through. Valid. Yeah, let's do it. So is, so is cremation then not? Because like cremation is kind of touted right as being more economically or environmentally friendly uh, than like putting people in coffins in the ground. So are you saying it's not? Uh, cremation is a complex one because yeah, it is touted as like oh, it's the better option, it's the quicker option, or the cleaner option, and all this. But, uh, no. No, it's not. Um, cremation is, to put it in very crude terms, putting a body in an oven for three hours. And you have to run that oven quite high to make sure that the entire person breaks down. So, with cremation, what is actually the ash is your bones. Because your bones are the only thing that survived the fire, because it's that hot. Everything else either evaporates or liquefies. It's gone. There's none of it left, it's just bones. But to do that with a person takes quite a lot of energy. Cremation machines often have to run for like an hour or two, maybe sometimes longer. I think it could be around three hours. Um, and running a incredibly hot oven for three hours is not kind to the environment, it's not kind to your electricity usage. One cremation, now this was from the early 2000s, so the comparison or the amount may not be as accurate anymore. But one cremation of one person takes about as much energy usage as that person, while alive, would have used in a month. So, a green option it is not. Also, cremations uh, contribute a surprisingly high, like I would say, in the region of like 1-2%. to Back check me on that. Uh, <laughs> but... I think I think it's around that. Of all mercury emissions are from cremations because of old mercury fillings being burnt. Uh, in a lot of places, they'll they'll remove them. Like they have to 
for example, like remove if you have like metal hips and stuff, they try and remove them so that they could recycle the metal. But they can't always do that. <laughs> so yeah, cremation also causes mercury emissions because of mercury in people's teeth uh, and their fillings. So and yeah, it's decidedly not good for the environment. No, it's it's not very cash money. Like just the energy use is astronomical and like the heat use and then if like you're going to burn a coffin, which a lot of people do, you're like you're burning wood, you're using resources to burn wood that you have only really used for a couple of days and nothing happens with that beyond that. If the coffin has metal fixtures, most cremation places will take them off. But if they don't, you're burning metal, there may be emissions associated with that. There may be emissions associated with the resins in the wood. Like, it's just like... It's it's not the worst option, but uh, it's being sold as like this environmentally friendly, like green sustainable thing really irks me because it's it's truly not that at all. <laughs> Yeah, that's that, that's quite an eye. That's quite an eye-opening one. Um, you say that composting is like the, a more environmentally friendly thing, but like unfortunately, we can't really do that here. Are there any other environmentally friendlier options? So what we what you can do in Ireland, although the amount of places you can do it is limited, is a thing called green burial. There's three green burial spaces in Ireland. I think there is. Actually, there might be two. There's definitely one in Galway, and there's definitely one in Wexford. Um, and with those, what happens is you get buried straight in the dirt. Your coffin has to be made out of a biodegradable material. No headstones, because uh, headstones are made from quarried stones, and like a lot of the time, headstones nowadays are made with granite, and there isn't a lot of granite in most of the Republic of Ireland. There's a little bit in Northern Ireland, so like at the very least, your headstone has to like be quarried from somewhere else and imported and there's a carbon footprint associated with that. So with this, there's no headstones, you're in the ground in something that's biodegradable, you're not embalmed. Um, some of these places will bury you three feet down instead of six feet so that you, like, you decompose faster basically. And sure. you are just in the earth, just decomposing, just vibing. Uh, no chemicals and stuff. No pesticides are used. A lot of the time, the grass and the trees and the bushes are left to grow long, so it creates habitats for like local plants and animals. A lot of the time, they will have rules about like you can only have Irish plants and animals in Irish green burial spaces, promote native biodiversity, which is very positive. And another thing they do is they keep green spaces in urban centers because it is incredibly hard to rezone land that you know someone has been buried on. Uh, it's not impossible, but it's difficult. Like, a lot of the times uh, when things are being built in Ireland, they will find bodies, and then they will have to do an archaeological dig and, like, figure it out. Which is different. This is, like, you know there's bodies here, and it makes it much trickier to rezone that land, because it can't be like, oh, whoops, we happened upon a corpse. It's like, oh no, there's, like, 50 people buried in this field. We can't touch this field. Always fun. Yeah, so, uh, I, I like that. I like that my kind of last act for I to do that would be an act of defiance against like urban sprawl that like, sorry, you can't sprawl here. I'm busy being dead. That Deal kind of it. like, that kind of ruins the whole like foundation of so many um, horror stories where it's like, oh, this house 
It was built on like you know. Burial ground. Yeah. And I know like a lot of them are 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 like First Nations burial grounds and stuff, and it's like you know, a lot of that land was unethically seized from like its original yeah. inhabitants. But at the same time, like you know, Poltergeist is like the house in Poltergeist is built on a cemetery, and it's like you know, like you know, where did you get the zoning permits for that? It just How ruins both. Like, how did you get permission for that? Like, was it a recent ter- cemetery? Because, like, sometimes they will rezone cemeteries that are really, really old. Where there's no kind of living relatives. Um, and people aren't, like, visiting the graves. People aren't keeping up the graves. Because I guess that makes sense. Like, mm. but, yeah. uh, rezoning land where someone has been recently buried. Uh, knowingly, my dad. If, if you bury someone in the woods, that doesn't count. Don't do that. Um, <laughs> But where someone has been recently buried, where they have living family members to advocate them, that is difficult because you will see pushback from those family members inevitably. At least some of them will say, sorry, uh, no, my mom is there. Uh, you're not going to fucking do that. You're not building your gaff. Like, yeah, you're not building your gaff where my mom's bones are. And no, not alone. Nope. I mean, fair enough. Like. Yeah. But yeah, I think the whole like na- Native American burial ground thing uh, is basically it's partially related to the fact that like white Americans fundamentally do not respect indigenous people so they're like they will just plow over their burial grounds and make like the most heinous housing estate you've ever seen in your life Um, I mean yeah and when they protest they're just like sorry we need housing for white people I'm mad about it Um, so I guess the premise holds up in the sense of like if you factor in the racism uh, that it's completely accurate. <laughs> Grim. Yeah. They never address that part, though. No, it's always just like, oh, Native Americans are scary because we don't understand their traditions and beliefs. I'm Which, like, if someone built a house over your dead body, you probably wouldn't be thrilled either. <laughs> this, like, I would be angry. I, I don't know, do I believe in an afterlife? If someone, like, bury... If someone, like, built a shit house on my corpse, I would be angry about it. Hmm. But yeah, it's like it's very difficult to rezone land that people have uh, been buried on. Sure, we saw it recently um, with Bespera uh, in Cork. Now, oh, yeah. to say people were knowingly buried there, given it's a Magdalene laundry, is uh, questionable because a lot of the time the nuns were just like, ah, oh, fuck them kids, um, and kind of threw them in a pit, which is grim, but that's Ireland. Um, they yeah. tried to rezone Vesper recently and it failed because they were like yeah. we need to do a survey of the land there was probably heaps of children buried here um, so like that's the most grim living proof you can see of the principle that like if you bury someone on a piece of ground it is incredibly hard to change the purpose of that ground whether you do it intentionally or or whether you do it because you don't care about women and you're the Catholic Church. Um, oh, yeah. I, I really hope uh, no devout Catholics are listening. Uh, this is not going to be a fun time for you. Here, I'm a Christian. Like, I, I support criticism of the Church. Yeah. I think most people do. I don't know how you could not, given what they've yeah. done. Absolutely. Hmm. Oh, another like, thing about. Oh, Sorry, go on. No, no, no. I was, I was gonna do like a, a segue. So you, you go on and uh, say your thing. 
Oh, I was just going to say another thing about like the green burial process is that it's a little bit cheaper than traditional burial. Usually, not always. Hmm. Yeah. To provide like a a really strange segue, and like to try and move it away from uh, so grim a topic as the church in Ireland. Um, yeah. But I I wanted to ask what your thoughts on like established like organized religions practices towards death and like how they view death as a state and like uh, how that holds up in your own personal estimation because at the start of the episode you're like you know I want to make you less anxious about death and do you think that like religion does that or do you think it fuels it or the I think it depends on your religion, and it depends on how that religion factors into your upbringing. So, because I grew up in Ireland, I was raised Catholic, and in Catholicism, there's a lot of, like, shame and guilt. It's kind of the key tenet of it, and, like, everything is, like, terrifying, and if you do anything wrong, you'll go to hell. So, I think uh, a, a key part of Catholicism is fear, and that fear extends to death because you're told if you fuck up in any way in life, like, you're fucked straight to hell. So, like, obviously, Catholics would carry with them, I guess, a fear of death because of this, like, what's been drilled into them is, like, if you ever, ever sin, like, that's it. You're gone. Um, but other religions approach it differently. Other cultures approach it differently. The interesting thing about growing up both Catholic and Irish is that Irish people have, like, a very healthy relationship with death, I would say, compared to a lot of other cultures. The Catholic Church... Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So it's it's like a it's a very mixed bag. Like there are some cultures where like they won't touch the corpse because the corpse is unclean, and there are other cultures where the family will wash the corpse after it died because that's your family member. There are other cultures again where they don't view death as like uh, extremely separate and distinct from life. It's just like another phase. Like there's like being a baby and being a child and being a teenager and uh, an adult and then death and then like it's just like another stage of your life in some cultures yeah. and i think that kind of framing of it is healthy in terms of like traditions for ages actually the catholic church didn't allow cremation at all which is why there is very few crematoriums actually in ireland there's like there's less than 10 uh, in the entire country whereas in the uk it's a lot more popular because the UK has a lot more Protestants, and in Protestantism it's completely fine, and it has always been completely fine to be cremated. So it's interesting how like, cultures and religion feed into how we do that, and like, cremation is so unpopular in Ireland, not because it's a bad option or anything, but simply because it's not in our culture. For years it wasn't allowed at all, if you were baptised Catholic, and most Irish people get baptised Catholic. In, in a way, it would have almost made more sense in a in a very this is going to be incredibly morbid but like those nuns when they were getting rid of those children there would have been much less evidence if they cremated them but cremation was a sin so they didn't do it so they buried them now they buried them Jesus shoddily in... yeah i'm sorry <laughs> they buried them shoddily. I mean, you're, you're right you're right <laughs> They bury them shoddily in non-consecrated plots in unmarked graves, sometimes in septic tanks. Um, but, like, they buried them rather than cremating them because cremation was a sin and they were nuts. <laughs> cremation is a sin, but, like, yeah. doing uh, fucking... Yeah, but now it's not anymore, uh, which is funny how religion changes like that. <laughs> like, 
Cremation is fine now, but then again, like, we all grew up with not Latin mass, and, like, at one stage the priest would say mass in Latin with his back to you, so <laughs> things things change in the Catholic Church. Uh, slowly, but they do. But, uh, yeah, no, it's like, it's, I, I just had that thought and I had to share with people that, like, oh, they didn't, cremating people would have been really convenient, except they couldn't because one, cremation wasn't available, and two, it wasn't sin! <laughs> It really, it it it'd be like it'd be like that sometimes. Yeah, uh-huh. it is interesting though that you mentioned that Ireland's like your know, like relationship with death and like you know things compared to other cultures. I always think of that scene in Dairy Girls in the episode where there's a funeral, and when the girls and James are like oh, in yeah. the room with, like and James like because English is just like. Does no one else realize that there is a dead body like in here? And everyone's like, ah, it's just, it's just Friday, like you know, yeah. it's just so normal. Oh, it was 1963 when the Catholic Church decided cremation wasn't this anymore. By the way, ah. uh, hmm. but uh, yeah, so it was a, uh, it was Vatican II where it came in. But yeah, like uh, in our culture, like it's very normal to have like the loved one's body in like a family home. Like my aunt died in 2019 and she was kept in the sitting room of my other aunt and another aunt again did her hair and her makeup because like she's family that's what you do for them and like we had our couple of days where like everyone came from everywhere across the country to say goodbye and we all had our drinks and our laugh in England and like she was buried or she was cremated rather within three days Hmm. in England if someone dies in the weekend it could be two weeks like you will you will not be seen two places are closed. Whereas like if someone dies at like three o'clock on Friday night, uh, you will be in the ground by Tuesday latest. No matter what, come hell or high water, three days always. Because yeah. like we we prioritize it so much. Also, our funerals are a lot bigger in the UK. It's like typically only small, very like immediate family. Whereas when someone dies in Ireland, it's like. Everyone ever knew them. Like with that uh Matt LeBlanc meme that was going around, um <laughs> there was one that I saw and I was like, Oh, this is perfect, this is my favorite one. And it was just him sitting in his pose, uh, just being like, Ah, that'll be a big funeral now. <laughs> <laughs> and it's so true. Like Irish families pure do be like oh, you knew oh the whole town will be gone for that now. And sure wasn't. Yeah. He was one of those, you know, he was one of those Rileys from down that place. Oh, yeah, yeah, everyone You're like, there. oh, yeah. It's like, yeah, because, like, we are very quick with, like, um, curious. I remember my granny died a few years ago, and she died on, like, the, like, wee hours of, like, Monday morning, like, kind of, like, knock or something like that. And she was buried on the Wednesday. Like, it's just yeah. how it is. It's uh, in some countries, it's faster. I have heard mm. that in a lot of like uh, Middle Eastern countries, particularly, it might it might be twenty four hours, and that's partially because the weather is so hot that you'll oh, decompose faster. Enough. So they have to do it faster. They yeah. they are working against time, like not anymore, obviously, because we have proper refrigeration and all of this modern advances. Mm. But that kind of thing comes into the culture before all of that, because like. You need to you need to go now, and you need to get this person buried, or that's bad, and it's bad because like mm. they just started decomposing. Um, whereas now that's not a thing anymore, but it's so ingrained in the culture because of history that like they still do it. Yeah, they still practice it. Absolutely. 
I I do love the like wake that we had, like you know, in Ireland though. I really like that part. Love love a good wake. I I've worked uh, a couple of them because I used to work in hotels for years, mm. and like. They're so funny because like people are very sad and everyone's all dressed in black. But then at some point, like someone gets on the Jameson and someone starts laughing and you just start stunning, telling stories about your loved one and like sharing memories. And it's really wonderful. And I really like that aspect that we don't entirely treat death as like this grim, like sad thing. Like we yeah. do find laughter in it. We do use our funeral traditions to commemorate the person's life, not just mourn the loss of them. Which I think is like an incredibly valuable thing. Like we don't take ourselves too seriously in that regard. Like we don't get mad at people for laughing at like mm. at a rosary or at like at the wake, because like yeah, you would be getting mad at a lot of people. <laughs> like you would spend a lot of time policing people if you tried to uh, tell them not to laugh at a wake. Yeah, I remember at like at my again at my granny's like funeral. Even at like you know like. There were two eulogies, like her brother and her son, like my uncle, and um, like you know, there'd be some things in the eulogy, like you know, like kind of like you know, like a little, like maybe a little, like kind of funny story, and like you know, like people laughed at it because, like you know, that's just a thing, like you know, at funerals, like growing up Irish, like laughing yeah, one exactly. minute crying, but laughing one minute crying the next, like yeah, it's like we have an incredibly healthy relationship with death compared to mm. some cultures. Some cultures are incredibly repressed about it. Um, oh yeah, and like it's overly sanitized as well because like we're we're as Irish people raised to typically not be afraid to touch a corpse, and that's absolutely fine because corpses aren't dangerous. There's very few diseases that can stay alive <laughs> in a person after they have died, um, with the exception of incredibly infectious diseases, possibly Ebola, but we don't have Ebola in Ireland as far as I'm aware. Um, but like it's it's completely safe typically to touch a corpse of someone you know and love at a wake because it's like it's been cleaned and there are people looking after it and stuff like that like it's it's sanitary whereas in other cultures like they especially in America to be honest they people are resistant to touch corpses people are told that it's bad that it's unhealthy that it's unsanitary in some states there are laws saying that like you can't care for your loved one after death you can't do the washing, you can't do things like that. Uh, it has to be done by a medical professional, even though one, there's no medicine to be done, they're dead. Uh, and two, it's it's not dangerous. Like, yeah. we, we, before modern medicine, had been handling and caring for our dead loved ones for centuries uh, with very little issue. It's only kind of in the modern, like, incredibly medicalized era where we think of corpses as, like, unsanitary and frightening and bad. But luckily, not as much in Ireland, thankfully. Hmm. I'm not entirely sure which way it swings on it, but like, because, it, you know, you, you could view it as either um, sort of like demystifying death and making people less sensitive to it, or sort of like making people go the opposite way because of how blasé it is. But I'm thinking of all like, the American crime dramas and stuff, all of the forensic ones where they have like, you know, the forensic scientists and they'll be dissecting a corpse and they'll always have something in there to show how jaded and desensitized they are to having a dead body on, on like the slab in front of them. They'll be like eating a sandwich or, you know, doing something that's like, yeah, it's just a corpse. Anything that you could in theory have like 
um, attributed life to is gone. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know where I stand on that, but like you know, it'd be interesting to hear your thoughts on that, Neve. Yeah, they're just kind of looking at it like, oh, it's another Wednesday, another corpse. Um, yeah, I don't know because those like those crime dramas are complicated because one, they don't really represent corpses accurately a lot of the time. Because uh, like it'll be like, oh, the body has been out for like two weeks and it looks like the person died yesterday. Like that's not how decomposition works, uh, especially. If it's like Miami uh, CSI, it's like if a corpse has been outside in Miami, Florida for two weeks, that thing is gross. That thing is barely recognizable as a person. There is no way it looks like someone had just lain down for a nap. That's not reality. Uh, but on the other hand, do you want to show uh, like horrifyingly like decomposing corpse on television? Probably not. That's probably a bad idea as well. <laughs> but yeah, the. It, they're very, they're very like clinical about like. I guess my issue isn't necessarily with how they handle corpses; it's how they handle everything. Because like they're very clinical about like these violent, brutal murders, and it's like, oh, watch a story about someone who was like suffocated in the back of a truck, um, and then buried alive, and haha, isn't this good TV? Watch it for an hour and don't think about it. Like that's, I don't think that's healthy, <laughs> in and of itself. I don't think we should treat, like, violent offences against a person with that much, like, chillness and, like, as a source of entertainment. And I say this as someone who does listen to true crime things, so perhaps I'm a little bit of a hypocrite. But, like, it's... I think my issue is less with the courses and, like, the idea of the, like, disinterested funeral professional, more with violent death as a source of media entertainment when, like violent deaths and like serious crimes against people are like not funny they're very traumatizing for the people left behind mm. they're very traumatizing for anyone who happens to survive <laughs> so yeah like i i don't mind the like uncaring funeral professional trope as much as i mind the like dead people especially dead women to be honest for entertainment mm. or like trauma as a source of like media clicks or entertainment or scandal oh yeah i completely agree like i would be interested in, in true crime like i'd be very interested in it, but at the same time i think it's important to kind of check like you know we are kind of interested in it and make sure that you are aware of what it is you're consuming yeah especially with true crime as well because that has to be handled even more delicately because whatever about fiction but with true crime like it's someone who lived and died and has family members a lot of the time who are still yeah. alive and can access the internet and, like, you hear about, like, entire forums dedicated to, like, picking apart a murder trial. And it's like, you have to remember that there's living family members of that person who was murdered. And they yeah. can read that. Like, the the way death is treated in our culture, I don't think is... Well, more so in American culture. I don't think is necessarily healthy because, like, of how scandalized and, like, turned into a source of, like, entertainment it has become... And also, like, the reality is that, like, murders and violent crime and stuff account for an incredibly small percentage of modern death. Most people die in hospital Actually. of old age. Mm. Yeah, this whole, like, especially with the true crime now where we've got, like, the fetishization nearly of serial killers, especially people like Ted Bundy, because, like, you know, every second week Netflix seems to have some documentary that's, like, 
largely disingenuous. Yeah. And kind of like distorts the facts, even if it's like true crime. And, you know, so it can. Like, I don't want to say sell because Netflix is a subscription service, but you know what I mean? Like, the equivalent of like yeah. selling ratings yeah. and ad spots on TV. Like, that one of it, um, the, the quote unquote murder at the Cecil Hotel. Um, Ali Salam, yeah. Yeah. That was like very bad from what I heard. I didn't actually watch it, but it's like, you know, maybe Penelope Scott was right. When she said, I hope this doesn't seem too impolite, but Ted Bundy was just never that fucking bright. Just never bright. that fucking bright. Yeah. Yeah, it's such an annoying, it's such an annoying song, but it gets in your head, like, and, and it's true, like, to be fair. The thing, yeah. The thing about Ted Bundy wasn't that, like, he was smart or clever or any of this shit they ascribed to him. It's that he was a straight white man in Utah, a state that is largely Mormon, and in Mormon communities, people will walk up to your front door with baked goods and offer to mow your lawn for free because that's what Mormons do. They're very polite. Like, people are people are trusting in Utah because of how much of the society and the culture is Mormon. Um, and also, he was a straight white man and he was going after women. Yeah. The, the police in everywhere, but notably America, have an issue with not believing women and not taking them seriously. Like people warned the police about Bundy, but they weren't taken seriously because the people doing it were women. Like that's what happened there. I think it's kind of like while he was clearly like, like you know, bright enough, whatever. It was just that he, which is great because what Scientists he did was kill people and do is there and what they do is they use them would there be what mushrooms would grow whatever and they use that to further inform uh, investigators and stuff when crimes are being investigated like oh if you find a body in X area and it looks like this that it's been outside for two weeks and we know this because we left a guy outside for two weeks and this is what it looked like uh, which I think is really interesting um, there's like there's a couple of them in like different environments and stuff um, another way people test this if they can't get uh human donors is with pigs uh because like pigs have like uh pigs are biologically not extremely far off from humans obviously they're quite far off because like we are sentient um monkeys and they are not but uh, in terms of like their makeup and stuff a pig and size as well to a degree because pigs are large pigs are bigger than you expect um <laughs> They've done this like uh, to test what would happen if someone died trying to cross into the United States from Mexico. They left like huge like pigs out, and to see if like border patrol would ever find corpses, so that they could get a representation of like how many people die making the crossing. And uh, they yeah. left like one or two of these pigs out. There was nothing. There was no bones. Gone. And to take them away. So, uh, because of this study, they discovered that we don't know how many people die crossing into the US from Mexico because even their bones are taken away. All of it, all of it is gone. Either like vultures or like other animal life or like the heat will burn things up and the ants will take away the bones. Like, there's no biological matter left um, if you die crossing that desert, which I think is like that aspect of death science is fascinating and I did a I did a presentation in my masters uh, and somehow they let me do this where I was talking about like the US border policy 
and building the wall and all this stuff. And I was like, yeah, we don't know how unsafe the crossing is because it's impossible to tell how many people die because there's nothing left of them ever. Lovely. Yeah, it's... Science is, science is mad like that. It's interesting, like, though. Yeah, like, wildlife as well is mad like that because, like, if if you leave someone outside in, like, certain climates and stuff, like, you will never find them. Or if you bury them in certain spaces that are hard to access, like, you will never find them. But conversely, if you die on Everest, <laughs> you will be there forever. Completely, completely kept. There's, like, I think a certain part of the crossing, and I think it's known as, like, the Rainbow Bridge or the Rainbow Road or something. And it's called that just because so many people have died there. And everything down to their coats, their bright coloured, like, outdoor mountaineering coats, are perfectly preserved. Uh, people are preserved so well on Everest that people use specific corpses as markers uh, for how far they are on the trail. Nice. <laughs> yeah, there's like, there's like one particular guy who has like very distinct boots, and he is a trail marker now because they can't get him back down, uh, which is unfortunate. But like, it's yeah. fascinating how like if you die in one place, you're gone. You you will not be nothing of you will be left in two weeks. And if you die in another place, you will be there for a hundred years, perfectly preserved. Hmm. And to bring things back around to Ireland, then like you know we have bog bodies which have you know been preserved in peat bogs for like 2,000 years or whatever it is. Like oh, I love so bog mad. bodies. Yeah. Yeah. Bog bodies and also bog butter. Yeah. Which is still edible. I'm a big bog body enthusiast. I think in my ideal scenario, I would like to become a bog body. It's like, I don't know how possible it is because I presume you would have to like privately own the bog. Um, yeah. But like, Oh, bog bodies are cool as hell, and like I've I've seen some of the Irish bog bodies because they're in the National Museum up in Dublin. They're fascinating. They you can see like wrinkles on their skin. Like it's absolutely mad. I I'm such. Maybe this is how it started because I saw this before. I, I saw the bog bodies before I got into all other death things. So maybe I saw bog bodies and something in my brain and was like, yes, this, <laughs> this is the one. This is this is the interest. Not anything normal. Why would it be something normal? But also like normal is boring. Yeah. Yeah. If if you became a bog body, then Hosier would write a song about you. That's very yeah, that's true. All the better. Yeah. Oh bog bodies. What a thing. I uh, what a concept. What a concept. I'm such a big fan of bog bodies. Cause like there's there's different types of mummies and there's different conditions that are ideal for mummification and bogs are kind of the only one we have in Ireland. Because otherwise it has to be like hot and dry and you kind of like desiccate uh, like a dried out coconut. That's how most mummies are formed. Yeah. Nice. I oh. have to ask... Sorry, what? No, go on. No, I was just thinking because you mentioned about like things such as like heat and stuff like where bodies decompose quicker there is the issue of um embalming which i remember because i recently watched the haunting a hill house very good everyone should watch it if they haven't already and there's a part where embalming where a character describes the process of embalming oh embalming. i was like <laughs> yeah and, and i was like that sounds awful and not something i want done and i know you've mentioned before that like 
you know, embalming isn't as necessary as people believe it is. Do you want to elaborate any more on that? Yes, you've, you found one of my pet topics, my crusade against embalming. Um, <laughs> so, embalming was invented during the American Civil War, which happened in the 1800s, and it was invented because people were dying very far away from their homes because they had gone to the battlefield and they wanted, they their families wanted their bodies back. But at that time, it could take like three weeks to go back to wherever your parents were from. And it was hot, it was summer, and you would decompose because that's what bodies do. So all these like opportunistic businessmen, like basically snake oil salesmen, started using unclaimed battle corpses to like test things. And eventually one of them came up with a chemical formula that, that like would go on to become embalming, primarily formaldehyde. And they discovered that, like, oh, if you pump the body full of formaldehyde everywhere, there's blood, you can bring them back to their families and they will stay in one piece. It preserves them. We now know that embalming will preserve a corpse for, like, I think around a year, about. Um, but yeah, it was invented in those times to get people home when getting home could, like, take weeks. Uh, nowadays, mm. one, we have refrigeration, which preserves the body perfectly fine in its own right. And two, especially in Ireland, we don't bury people three weeks after they died, we bury them three days after they died. They're not going to decompose in three days. Like, they just aren't. It would have to be extremely hot, and they would have to be outside in the sun for that to even be a concern. Um, so the process of embalming is basically, like, all your blood is removed, it's replaced with embalming fluid, which is primarily formaldehyde. Formaldehyde is a carcinogen. Um, a not insignificant amount of funeral professionals develop lung cancer later in life because they are inhaling formaldehyde constantly. Now, obviously, they take precautions, they wear personal protective uh, equipment and stuff like that, but it never fully prevents it. Um, it never mm. will filter out 100% of the formaldehyde, no matter how much ventilation or what have you that you do. And it's not necessary. It's not. Uh, if you want to keep a body in your house, you don't need to embalm it for that to be safe. You just need to keep the house cold, or like have a cooling system, or if it's like winter and you don't turn the heating on in Ireland, you'd probably be fine for those three days, if that. Uh, <laughs> so we don't need to do embalming anymore, and the whole idea of it was like just to preserve people for that little bit longer, but we don't need to preserve people for that little bit longer, unless their bodies are being donated to science, in which case embalm them because uh, you might be working on various parts of that body for a while but like we don't need it and it's especially unnecessary when you're cremating someone because you're doing all this to make them look nice in the coffin and then you're just burning it all anyway what is the point of that he's progressed beyond the need yeah yeah that's all my homies hate embalming society has progressed beyond the need for embalming <laughs> and also in a lot of places uh embalming is an extra cost that you don't need to pay because you don't need it. Like, your body won't decompose or get gross quick enough for you to really need it. Unless you really, really want to get, keep that person around for a month or two. Uh, in which case, I would ask, uh, why are you doing that? Maybe you should bury them a little bit faster. But perhaps that's just my cultural <laughs> sensitivity. Because <laughs> there are cultures who keep like people around for much longer than that. But those cultures don't typically embalm them. So, Unless you're uh, Cheryl Blossom from Riverdale. I have not oh seen Riverdale, God. I'm not gonna lie to you. She, Riverdale. Uh, she kept her hmm. brother. Her brother was her brother was killed like and then a couple of seasons later like when she when Cheryl was being brainwashed by a cult, they 
dug up her brother's dead body, and then mm. I assumed she had some kind of like mental break, like or somewhere, yeah. and kept his body in her house for like a while. Like I, I'm not even gonna go there because um, due to recent events, my lawyers and I don't have any lawyers um, mm. have forbidden me from speaking about Riverdale publicly because people yeah. tend to get angry when I do that. Yeah. Their fans are very dedicated. Hi, Riverdale fans, if you're listening. Um, love you. I, no, I feel I like I'm the one. I'm the one who upsets the fans of things uh, more, like on the regular instead of you. Like it seems to be that, like you know, a week can't go past without the stands of some franchise or um, IP getting pressed in my mentions. So, like, I'll take that heat if you want. Oh, it's fun. But yeah. Uh... No more about me. Like, you can if you want it, or if you have to, like, transport the body really far, like, if you have to transport the body internationally, yeah. uh, in some countries they require it, in some parts of the US they require it to transport a body, uh, in that case it's not really avoidable, but uh, if you're just, like, burying someone at home and you're only keeping them for a couple of days, and you're not burying them far from where they died, you don't really need to embalm them. Kind of an extra car, and, like, you're you're going to have the body around for three days, but it's going to stay pervert, preserved for about a year. It will be around for three days. It will be in the ground for three hundred and sixty-two days. Like, why are you why are you wasting your money on for the corpse to look really nice in the ground in the dirt? <laughs> <laughs> like, don't uh, even bother. Yeah, like don't don't waste your money. Save your money. But like, there is the funeral industrial compo- complex, of course, uh, which is to say. Capitalism is the root of all our problems, as always. And like the funeral industry, yeah, the funeral industry is an industry. So some funeral directors, not all of them, because a lot of uh, funeral homes in Ireland are like family-run, and therefore they're very personal and very like receptive to people. They will encourage you to do it, and uh, it's it's more of a problem in the states where like predatory corporate funeral homes will be like. Oh, you have to do this, and it's like for your safety, and it's health and safety, and uh, it's only going to cost an extra like two hundred dollars or whatever it actually costs. Like they're upselling Maybe. you. They they don't care about like the body or health and safety because it's not a health and safety issue. They're just selling you an add-on. Which I love uh, capitalism. Don't we all? Don't we all? But yeah, it's uh, like. A lot of the time, Mbami is like a thing that is upsold to you. It's not a thing that you need. I um, think in general, there's a lot of that, um, you know, in regards funerals and death practices. The you know, upselling people and basically extorting them out of their money. Um, you know, like weaponizing their guilt. Oh, absolutely. Them. Because in capitalism, there are inevitably bad actors who want to turn a profit, especially in like when an industry becomes extremely corporatized. Uh, So in America, there's a lot of, like, corporation funeral homes, where they are chains. They are the Starbucks of funeral homes. And they're they're not delivering to you a personal experience. They're selling you shit. Uh, They want you to buy the nicest coffin and the most extra add-ons. And, like, oh, you can pay extra for hair and makeup and you can pay extra for embalming and you can pay extra for, like, this special seal on the coffin and you can pay extra... Or like gold engraving on your headstone and all of this like it's they absolutely will weaponize your reflex i have anecdotally not in ireland again uh heard stories of 
people going to funeral homes and being told like, oh, wouldn't your mom like this coffin? Wouldn't she like you to spend this money on her? Like, the person could be looking at a coffin that is like $500, to $600 and the funeral director will be like, oh, you should come look at this and like, wouldn't your mom love it? Isn't it perfect for her? And one, they never knew your mother and don't care about her. And two, the coffin is eight grand. Um, they just want you to buy it because they make a commission on the coffin or they make a profit on the coffin. Like, there is absolutely predatory bad actors uh, who are more concerned about achieving a profit under capitalism than they are about delivering you a good service or helping you through your grief. Um, and they will weaponize your loss to sell you things. Like, it, it absolutely happens. And that horrifies me because it means that as we are going through grief, as we are going through loss, we also need to be conscious consumers. And no one should have to do that. No one should have to think, am I being sold to when they are grieving a loved one? But unfortunately, you kind of do have to think that. Capitalism is just... It's not going to yeah. stop till it's ruined everything. It strikes again. Like, we're, we're incredibly lucky that our, our funeral industry in Ireland is so localized it's so like not corporate like there's mm. not a lot of like funeral homes in ireland they're like family-run businesses that have been one generation for like a hundred years um and they yeah. genuinely care about their work and we have such a like culture of like positivity and openness around death that i to be honest think if you tried to get like massive corporate funeral homes in here it wouldn't go down well because like we're we're very candid about death. We're not afraid to ask difficult questions, whereas, like, say, Americans, it would be very taboo. Uh, mm. But it's, like, it's part luck and it's part our culture, I think, that this isn't as much of an issue in Ireland. Uh, that we don't yeah. have to be as aware and on top of, like, the capitalism of it all. I think this is the, the point in the episode where, like, you know, like at least once an episode where we go, we live in a society. Because, damn, we really do. really do live in a society i have a minor in sociology and every time someone says we live in a society i can just, i want to combust <laughs> glad we can help you along uh, yeah. with that in the journey to combustion oh yeah sure that's but fine environmentally I'll, uh, safe combustion yeah i'll save so much on cremation because i'll just have combusted already yeah you won't need a coffin or Exploded. anything yeah Oh, it's what annoys me as well is that like in people will upsell you a coffin for cremation and it's like, no, you're just gonna burn that. Why would you spend eight to ten thousand dollars on a wooden box? You're going to throw in a fire. Oh my god, it makes me oh. The idea of spending eight grand on a wooden box for anything, never mind something that we're gonna burn. Like, uh, my family are very supportive, arguably too supportive of my interest in death, uh, because they ask me questions about it and prop me out at family funerals, and it's very uncomfortable. So they're like, oh, Neil knows about cremation, and it's like, uh, I know the cremation is, like, not necessarily a good thing, and we're at a family member's cremation, and they want me to talk about it, and it's like, I'm not going to critique how people decided to dispose of a body of, uh, that they're disposing of right now in this very fucking moment. <laughs> but, like, I was I was ranting about this on the way to a family member's funeral. It's like oh, it's so expensive. I was ranting about this prompted. I might add, I didn't just like in the middle of my family's grief go. We're going to talk about why I disagree with this. Like no, they brought it up and you know, they just, asked like, me to burst down the door. <laughs> like this is bad. No, 
I want to I want to highlight that I was asked to have this conversation. I didn't bring it up unprompted because I may be autistic, but I am not that tone deaf. Thank you very much. But uh, I was having this conversation in the car out to the crematorium because there's only one crematorium in Cork and it's kind of far from everywhere. Um, and my father, uh, who's very, very supportive of me, uh, I was having my rant about like, oh, coffins are so offensive and you only burn them. And he's like, you throw me right in. Crispy critters. I was like, oh my God, please don't say that. Funerals, love God. <laughs> but like, he was just like, yeah, that doesn't make any sense. Just crispycritters.com to throw me right in. I hope my dad never listens to this podcast, or if he does, he doesn't mind me quoting him on that. <laughs> I need that. I need that. Oh, no! Um, but yeah, he, he was like, yeah, no, just crispycritters.com, just throw me right in. And uh, I, I appreciate the support, but uh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> That's a great quote. I appreciate your support, but Jesus Christ. Yeah, which, I mean, is what I find myself saying a lot when my family are like, Oh, tell, tell your auntie you now about this. You were studying this in college, weren't you? And it's like, uh, there's like a corpse like 20 meters away from us. I'm like, I don't want to do that. Please don't make me do that. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't mind. I am very comfortable. It's what freaks me out more isn't like talking about what we're about to do with a corpse that is in the room. It's that like the people who are experiencing immediate loss might overhear me and I don't ever want to do that to someone. I don't ever want to shame or critique, even if I wholly disagree with how they're handling things. I don't ever want to look at someone experiencing grief and go, the way you handle your loved one's death is bad and it's wrong and you should feel bad. Because like, they've already spent the money, they've already made the choices, who does that help? No one. Yeah, I get that. Yeah, you need to... I suppose you need to weigh up these things, because, like, it's all fine and good saying things in the abstract and trying to, you know, affect change, but on an individual level, people are going to do what they're going to do, and they're going to do what makes them feel okay. And, like, who am I to judge how people grieve? It might not be my choice, it might not be my preferred way. But at the end of the day, it's not my business if it helps them sleep at night, like, who cares? Like, if if you want to embalm your dad and put him in a chrome casket that costs 8 million euro, and then you want to light that <laughs> casket on fire and throw it into the sea, uh, one, you should ask the Navy if you could do that, They're, they don't like you doing that. Uh, but two, who am I to judge if it helps you sleep at night? Like, at the end of the day, you've made the choice, and it's the choice that you feel is best. And I'm not going to police how you grieve, no matter what my opinions are on it. Unless you do something, like, incredibly dodgy or offensive. Uh, But to be honest, you would have to get quite far from me to consider uh, the way someone handles a death bad. Because I saw someone uh, turn their uncle into a guitar, and I thought that was cool as hell. It's cool as hell. Yeah, because, like, he he had been uh, a skeleton in a classroom for years, and then the classroom uh, gave him back the family and like he'd already been like hung up for a while and he was really into like music and stuff so the guy turned him into a guitar and i think that's cool i think that's a cool way to honor someone now is it legally uh okay probably not because uh, there's a lot of things you unfortunately can't do with a corpse even if you technically own that corpse um (laughs) because it's considered desecration of a corpse like for example 
if I died tomorrow and I bequeathed my skull to Ali, Ali could not make it into a mug, even though it's Ali's skull at that point. You're not allowed that's desecration of a corpse. Which makes me really sad. Because like I want people to make my bones into cool lesbian earrings. I think that would be neat. But apparently it's desecration of a corpse, even if I agree with it and I give written consent while I'm alive. Amazing, amazing. Yeah. Let people make lesbian rings out of my bones. Like, that's all I want. And think of how many how many pieces of cool lesbian jewelry you can make out of a whole ass skeleton. Yeah, like there's so many bones. You could do so much. It would be so powerful. But yeah, no, you're not you're not allowed to do that. because uh, it's uh, it's desecration of a corpse. And like I get that people have like cultural sensitivities about a corpse. Mm. But if someone gives written permission when they're alive, you should be able to act on that written per- permission when they're dead. But unfortunately, typically not. Actually, is. You can't, it's very hard to get legal consent to keep human bones. Uh, unless they are very old human bones, or you are a museum. Hmm. We as hyperfixations do not endorse any criminal activity. Yeah, also definitely like don't uh, steal bones. Like, just don't do that. Yeah, that don't was do a that. scandal when yeah. I was on Tumblr as a youth. There was like this witch who like stole bones that like washed up. Because there had been like a flood in a cemetery, which means that those bones were human. Don't do that. That's very much illegal. <laughs> That's considered body snatching. Yeah. Um, never do that. Also, it's don't just not cool to take bones of people you don't know. You don't know what they yeah, what they would have wanted in life. Don't steal people's bones. It's it's not chill ever. If you see a human bone somewhere where you wouldn't expect a human bone to find, report it to the authorities because that might be a missing person. Just, uh, just don't don't okay. take it. You don't want to be implicated in a bone stealing crime because it's uh, people do not look on that one lightly at all ever. Unless like I think you're allowed to keep like your bones. Like if you get like part of your body amputated, then theoretically you could ask the hospital to give you the bones. I don't know what they agree, but I <laughs> think Roldal uh, did that. I think he. I'm trying to remember because it's just at the back of like one of those like collection uh, of, of Roald Dahl books that they have in like Irish children's classrooms and whatever with all of his books and then at the back they'd have like fun facts about Roald Dahl and there was like a picture of his desk from I think the day he died or whatever mm-hmm. but I'm pretty sure it was like he had part of his hip just like in a glass jar or whatever because he got it replaced with metal like a metal um, prosthetic I guess you'd call it even yeah. if it's on the hip yeah, um, I'm, yeah, I'm very annoyed because I got four of my wisdom teeth out at once and I meant to ask the doctor could I have the teeth after and I forgot. Oh, go back and yeah. claim those teeth. Are teeth tax deductible? I don't know, I wonder. Um, but yeah, no. I forgot, I forgot to ask for my teeth and I'm very upset. That would have been some of my bones I could keep and make into cool earrings for my bones and I'm alive. <laughs> that would I would cool. like, I should have done that too get your wisdom teeth removed. You're so hopped up on a... Oh my god, you are out of your gourd on Cody and and whatnot. And anesthesia, like, you're just like, am I alive? Yeah, I didn't speak for ages after I uh, woke up from the, like, anesthetic. I, like, woke up, was aware I was in a hospital room, and then was like, they put me in the, like, recovery room where you just kind of lie there, and, like, someone next to me was, like, really chatty on the drugs, and I was like, oh, I don't want to make a fool of myself. And then I was like, 
I don't need to be awake, so I went for a nap. <laughs> Mood. I what? cried when I first woke up from the anesthesia. I don't know why. I just I just did. My sister went under anesthetic. She like cracked her skull at one point. She's fine, uh, by the way. But uh, she was like asking the nurse about like her favorite flavor of hula hoops when she woke up <laughs> for some reason. That was like that was what she was concerned about. But yeah, no, I'm pretty sure I wasn't meant to be sleeping. Uh, but I was like, I love sleeping. That's one of my other personality traits is like death and naps. Um, so I was just like, this is a prime opportunity to have a nap. <laughs> You gotta, you gotta have a nap. Yeah. Anesthesia, though, not fun. Wouldn't recommend if you can avoid it. Yeah. I, I felt like fine after it. It was the jaw swelling that killed me because I looked like I'd lost a bear fight for about a week. Got all four of mine at once. Um, which. Yeah, same. Oof. <laughs> at least you never have to do it again, though. Yeah, that's true. They're all gone now. Laughs in currently has all of my wisdom teeth still in my mouth. I mean. That's fine for you, but wait till they start hurting you, and then you won't be laughing. Oh, they they have from time to time, but I just like, you know, I need that extra wisdom. That's true. Mine, mine never hurts. Mine never but, bothered me. Yeah, but then they x-rayed them one time, and they were like, oh, they're impacted. You need to get all of those out. I was like, yeah, okay, like, take my teeth, I guess. Like, uh, yeah, if you must, because like, mine never hurt me. Or like, you know, they might hurt a bit, but like, you know not in yeah. major and like I just be like oh um I, I was like oh yeah whatever but then apparently they were like there was like an abscess or something and they had to remove them I was like ugh fine yeah stole our bones they stole our bones yeah. see why is that legal but I can't keep someone's skull as a mug if they give me written permission fuck's sake we do live in a society. <laughs> we truly do. And that society uh, doesn't want us to keep people's bones, apparently. Not even no. our own. Society hates bones. You heard it here first, folks. Yes. <laughs> conspiracy theory. This is a conspiracy podcast now. Yes, excellent. It's That's the fresh new conspiracy I'm hiding. I'm starting. It's like, Psych- it's great because it's like, it's not like rampantly anti-semitic yeah. yeah the first seven or so episodes of this podcast were just to lull you in it was to make sure all the government agents listening and were like oh, okay this is a fun podcast where people just talk about their interests and stuff psych we're actually unveiling a global cover-up yeah oh i found out because um, i like i did a quick google when your wisdom teeth are impacted they're growing sideways oh for the love of god yeah, all four of mine were infected, so they were like, hmm, those need to be out of your jaw. Not so wise <laughs> now. I just always see things like, oh, they're impacted, like, and they don't ever explain to you what that means. They just be throw. Like, do you ever just, like, you know, when dentists are, like, clear or tiki, and they just start throwing out words about your teeth, and I'm like, yeah, I am like, I don't understand that. I'm not, I'm not the kind of scientist where this makes sense to me. Thank you very much. Sorry about that. Now, if you were to talk... Mr. Dentist, about argumentative incommensurability. I would know all about that. But we are both the wrong kind of scientists for each other. Clearly. I'm so glad this got onto the weird bone tangent. I'm I'm also Naturally. very annoyed that like you can't you can't just own bones. Like mm. if someone like gives me consent to keep their bones, why shouldn't I keep their bones? 
Exactly. But, but like that, on the that other hand, like, common sense. Yeah, I get it because it does prevent like legitimate desecration of corpses. Oh, problem. oh, completely. But hmm, let me keep the bone. If only there was a. There, we need to find a happy medium. Yeah. Yeah, if it's ethical and harms no one else, I feel like we should be able to keep bones. Yeah. I think, like, you can get permits, but it's usually for, like, antiques or, like, bones that have been in historical collections for, like, a very long time. Um, yeah. But then this brings up the another death-related ethical issue where there was this uh, man who had the disease that makes you um, a, a giant. I can't remember for the life of me what, what it's called. Um, but... Uh, there was this Irish giant and he was like seven, over seven feet tall and he his whole life, he lived in the time where like body snatching was a massive problem and yeah. he was aware that uh, people would want his corpse after he died uh, mm. and oh, it was Charles Byrne uh, was the name of the man he was from Northern Ireland, and he he uh, he was seven foot uh, seven foot seven when he died. Some wow. accounts uh, some accounts uh, of him alleged that he was like closer to eight feet, but uh, his skeleton, which we have, was seven foot seven. Uh, he was very aware yeah. that people would want his corpse after he died. Uh, he had enough money to like he made a living for a while in like circuses and freak shows and stuff um that was how he survived in london and he was aware that when he died people would want his body he had scientists often ask or offer him large sums of money uh to be named as the people to be given his corpse um mm -hmm. and he did not want that he explicitly did not want that uh he was very against it he wanted to be buried uh, in Ireland he mm. uh, so when he was close to dying he made arrangements with his friends that he his body would be sealed in a lead coffin and um, buried at sea uh, unfortunately uh, on the way to the sea his body was snatched uh, and he was kept in um this museum at the Royal College of Surgeons in London and displayed against his wishes. Uh, he is still in their possession, actually, believe it or not. He was kept there from 1799 to now when he what? explicitly did not want to be. He was on display for a number of years. You could go see his body. You could nice. go gawk at him, which was the one thing he did not want in death. Um... He wanted to be buried at sea, or he wanted to be buried at home in Ireland, and he was granted neither. Um, and there have been calls uh, for a couple of years now, at least since 2015, um, asking for him to be repatriated to Ireland or to be buried at sea. Um, and like questions of like the ethics of keeping him on display when it is well known and well established and recorded that he did not want to be displayed ever explicitly yeah um and Odd basically the museum are to an extent holding him hostage uh <laughs> it 
He has not been on display since 2016, but it is because uh, the museum itself, which is the Hunterian, Hunterian Museum in the Royal College of Surgeons in London, is actually closed. Um, oh. Yeah, it's it's not that they had a change of heart or they decided to send him home to Ireland, it's just that it was closed. He, um, he was put on display for 200 years against his wishes. Uh, yeah, and there's talk now, there's a legitimate campaign to return Charles Byrne home or to get him buried at sea like he originally wanted, uh, which is still ongoing because he is still in possession yeah. of the Royal College of Surgeons in London. But like that's an example of just like people not respecting people's wishes and death and people like disregarding people's wishes and people disrespecting people's bodies and like... Is the desecration of a corpse? No. But it is completely untrue. It is completely antithetical to this man's wishes, to what he expressed, mm. to what he even tried to do. His friends took his body in the night so that no one would be yeah. able to body snatch him, and he got body snatched anyway. Awful. Yeah. Uh, it was uh, giganticism. Oh, I believe they may have named this specific form of giganticism after him because it is called Burns giganticism. Oh. Yeah. Oh, he had a tumor in his uh, pituitary gland, which caused him to basically never stop growing. But yeah, like when we're talking about like desecration of a corpse, I believe that to be desecration of a corpse. He was put on display in a glass box for 200 years against his will, against his wishes in a country he wasn't even from and had no connection to because some guy decided that like oh for science or whatever or basically because we want to we can take this man's corpse we can disregard his wishes hmm. yeah so yeah uh, while we're here return home charles burn <laughs> yes i we do endorse that trending on twitter yeah i mean there's been a campaign for a couple of years now uh there's like been Guardian articles and stuff about it, um, mm. about people like trying, trying to get him returned home because like we know, we know he never wanted. Absolutely, I feel like that's a good place to wrap it up. Neve, um, where can we find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter and on TikTok. Both are at shaming de Valera. I think constantly, oh, I should give myself a professional handle, but I'm too attached to it at this point. Sorry if you like De Valera, <laughs> but also you shouldn't. No. Um, but yeah, that's where sure. that's where you can find me. I also have a Facebook, but please don't add me there. That would be weird. Nude. Um, where can we find you, Nigel? Uh, you can find me on Twitter and on TikTok at SpicyNigel, where um, what have I done recently? I have I like I like to you know do a nice little smorgasbord of my tweets. Uh, recently, I've tweeted about how I wish I hadn't heard of the Beatles, um, and then I've also tweeted a picture of uh, 1992 Pierce Brosnan. Follow so, Nigel for quality takes. Yeah, quality takes, which is that Pierce Brosnan before he was James Bond was really fucking hot. Okay. I'm trying to think how I would explain my Twitter. On my Twitter, like, I, I do talk about death sometimes because I do run a small campaign to get a green burial space in Cork. Uh, but also, I, I talk about politics a lot. I'm very sorry. I have a master's in political science. I'm annoying about that, too. Uh, <laughs> uh, 
And but you I, can find me... Sorry, what? I was just gonna say, but follow me anyway, it's fun, I promise. <laughs> do, do. Um, you can find me on... Instagram at Ali, A-L-L-Y underscore K underscore Keegan, and you can find me on Twitter at Ali Cat underscore, Ali spelt as in alleyway, and Cat spelt with the K. Um, right, uh, you can follow the podcast at HyperFixationsP on Twitter. Or at HyperFixationsPod on Instagram. Rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts, be that Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or on your Starbucks order. Wherever, like so yeah. I think that's all. Neve, it was an absolute pleasure to have you on. It was an absolute pleasure to be here and get to round about death for an hour, so Love that. Alright, goodbye. Bye. Bye. Signing off.